We are so excited to bring you episode two of Devil's Trap Podcast, where I, Liz, tell you why camping sucks. And I, Diana, agree. And we're also going to tell you why Diana cannot stop saying Wendigo. Wendigo. Then Liz is going to go into the lore and tell you why you should probably stop saying that word so often, Diana. Definitely. We're also we're really going to figure that out. And then finally, we're going to figure out, has Diana turned a corner? Is she Team Sam? Is she Team Dean? Or is she, in fact, still Team Trunk? We shall see. We shall see. All right, so let's get this episode going. Welcome to episode two, season one, episode two of Devil's Trap Podcast, where Liz is recording this with the cat sitting basically on her head. I think Diana, maybe this is a point where you could screenshot this and this would probably be a good picture, but this is how I live my life with a cat sitting on my head. So awesome. All right. Uh, so, hey, Diana, how are you doing? Hi. I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, you know, it's an exciting po- post-Thanksgiving um, uh, fun of, uh, you know, making sure our foods and whatnot are ready. So, and holiday decorations, that's what I'm doing next is going to continue drinking wine and decorate our Christmas tree after this. So, there we go. That sounds really exciting. So, what wine are you drinking tonight? I don't want to talk about it. I drink all my drinking, wine on Thanksgiving. You're still drinking trash wine. I'm actually, I'm actually not drinking trash wine tonight. We're actually drinking, um, right now, we're drinking Gattavecchi, um, the, their white wine. It's um, a winery Dave and I went to in uh, Montepulciano, Italy. Um, I made Dave go there to that city specifically when we were in Italy because while it is not actually the name of the city in Twilight, it is the actual city where they shot the Italy, the Voltura scene, because Voltura is a different city in Italy, but they shot the Voltura scene in Montepulciano, and I made him go there because it looked really pretty, and it was, and we love this winery, and they've had the, his most favorite ham he's ever had in his life there because they were cutting it off of the leg, the leg, and it was black ham and it was or whatever black prosciutto. It was a big thing, and he was very excited. It made Dave's day, and then yeah, you actually. Oh, sorry. You made me a candle from this wine yeah. and then you put little pictures of Voltori in it. So we'll have to take a picture of, I'll take a picture of that and post it online because so everyone can see the Voltori candle that Diana so craftily made. Yeah. Cause it's actually the picture on the bottle is the picture of the town square. And so I drew the red, all the red capes on figures there for, for Liz. Cause I know she likes Twilight too. Um, which feeds no. into our, what? no, I don't mm, like Twilight. What? I don't know what you're talking uh-huh. about. I've yeah, never thought yeah. about traveling to forks. I don't, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> Although I do refuse to read this, the new, the new book where the, from the Edwards point of view, cause Edward was just a bitch and I have no desire to hear things through his, through his brain. I was real excited and I bought it. 
And then I read a review from BuzzFeed, which is not my source of, of book reviews for the record, typically. But it was so bad that I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. And the book's real long. Yeah. It, and if you can make Twilight, like Twilight was really bad to begin with. And then yeah. like, you're going to make it worse. Like how did you actually do this oh. worse? You're going to make it more dragged out, like more depressing. Cause it wasn't like book like two, like half of her just being freaking depressed uh, for like three I months. I think that was the one where oh, she just oh. constantly jumped off cliffs. Cause oh. when she jumped off a cliff, then she could see him. But of course that was after he spent all his time, like looking at her and smelling her sweater. Stalking her. Yeah. So basically, yeah. yeah every teenage girl's dream. I just want that <laughs> creepy want guy who, who doesn't want to talk to me as major emotional problems. Yeah, he but, thinks I'm gross and then he wants to stalk me and then he dumps me. That's that sounds like romance. Yeah. I mean, but I really like the Collins. So I like the family. Yeah, I do too. I mean, obviously. But yeah, so um yeah, the guy cutting the black prosciutto though uh was very Italian and obviously but like spoke decent english i'm just saying like he spoke but he spoke english because of his interaction with tourists is what he was telling us which was kind of interesting and then at some point he was trying to translate something and pulled up the side of his shirt and showed us the edge of his thong and that was an epic moment at a winery in italy while eating black prosciutto and drinking wine at this um uh, this amazing winery in montepulciano that we wanted to stay at for hours but had to hurry back to turn our rental car and drive to rome but, so was he trying to show you his thong or was it yes it was intentional he was trying to describe which part of the pig talk about the pig that the but he wasn't was like here's my thong he was like this is oh, where no, the pig he, is he, he touched the thong at least he didn't snap it. It did not snap, but he touched it. It was evident as he Yay. was trying to describe the black prosciutto to us, which song, was amazing song. and is very expensive. We tried to find some to order. <laughs> and I was very excited to see at Costco the other day that they actually, you can buy a big old like, like prosciutto leg. It comes on the cutting board already ready to go so you can slice off your own prosciutto or whatever. It's Spanish. It was a Spanish ham. So whatever. It was, I was pretty excited about that. Um, that would be Hamon. Yeah. Uh, they didn't call it that either. They called it something else stupid, I think. It was just like pig. Costco. It was just like slice of pig. Welcome and to they're Costco. Like, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Once like, again, was, why are we talking about Costco again? I don't I know. know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, um, it's, I like I like Costco, damn it. Anyway, so yeah. Um, there we go. So that's my that's my wine selection for tonight is Gadavecchi's white wine that I very much enjoy. And then we're going to transition over to some mediocre stuff. We say, drink a lot of our good stuff on Thanksgiving with the family, which was stuff from the Hill Country, both um, uh, Coleman wineries. We went through several bottles of that, including the Rosé, which is lovely. And then got into, uh, my sister found a stashed bottle that she had of Signor still. So that was exciting news as well. So we've uh, been, get, we got our Hill Country wine fixed too. And then now I'm like, damn it, I'm out of all the good shit. So we're on to our big order from total wine today. 
not Costco, but Total Wine today. Yay. I like when people bring me booze, yeah. uh, which sadly, uh, my grocery delivery service was slow tonight because we had a bunch of power outages as we've had an awesome rainy day, very, very spooky day. But unfortunately, that meant the power went out. So I did not get my family business beer delivered tonight. It'll probably show up in the middle of this podcast and you'll hear me slam down the computer and run to get it. But so instead, I'm drinking another Austin beer that's a thirsty goat that's made from thirsty planet it's their amber ale it's my go-to beer because it is delicious probably too delicious but and I am drinking it out of uh, my bitch pint glass so you can see that Diana so <laughs> yes <laughs> I like it I like so it. hopefully you know drinking beer won't be belching directly into the microphone I'll try and do that to the side like the lady that I am of course so are we ready? Awesome. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, we, we got into uh, season one, episode two. And, um, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I spent time watching this um, by myself yesterday. Um, in the and dark? No, it was daytime. Sorry. It was in the morning. Uh, yeah, I got up in the morning and well, let, let, let the husband sleep in and watched my episode of Supernatural and made lots of notes in my fancy notebook that, that Liz got me, by the way. So I've got all kinds of notes here. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'll, let, I'll let Liz lead off and I have some, uh, some tidbits to, to add in. And I tr- promise I want to say up front, my, some of mine are somewhat critical. I just want to be up front that I am enjoying it to an extent so far. I'm just not, it's just hard to watch a show that's a little bit or episodes are dated now yeah obviously they're dated and um you know and it's still the show building and i know that these all these kind of shows the characters build the story builds the quality builds all those things so just up front i'm not trying all my all my critical comments are not all your judgment is i'm just making notes as i go yeah yeah don't be a dick diana i'm not i promise (laughs) cool so uh season one episode two wendigo or wendigo as they say uh first aired september 20th 2005 and we still had nutter and kripke as the wider the wider as the writer and directors um so really not too much to go on the back back end of the episode here i think we can just jump right into talking about it as we go yeah so we start off um in we're in blackwater ridge uh lost creek colorado which to quote uh one of my favorite podcasts morbid fresh air is for dead people so we open up on a camping ground we have two tents that are there and so according to wikipedia the uh, the lost creek wilderness is a hundred and nineteen thousand seven hundred and 90 acre wilderness area located in central Colorado, uh, south of the town of Bailey, whatever town that is. Um, and the area is situated entirely within the boundaries of the Pike National Forest. Uh, I am not a camper. I don't mind the glamping. Um, I'm an outdoor person, but I, I want a toilet and a shower. So right off the bat, I'm just like, well, you're in the woods. You're going to get something happen to you. I'd like, I'd like to point out that reasons camping sucks dot 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 is in my notes. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I love the outdoors. I love the sights. I like, I like nature. Um, I did go camping quite a bit as a kid, but usually we're like with my family, we're like 
campsites at a lake and we go out on the boat all day and then we'd have like a shower, but not a fancy one, you know, but there was a shower and a toilet. Um, also, as we've discussed a little bit before, I don't love the dark. So that doesn't really bode well for camping at night. And I will also place partial blame on my military background because I, I was in the army. Um, they are capable of making any fun activity not fun, including camping. So um, yeah, that's uh, camping is not my jam, but you know, that's, there we go. Um, so it starts off with the camping and I have a couple notes when we get there, but I'll let, I'll let you talk a little bit about it too. So sure, sure. So we have uh, two tents, there's a campfire burning because they didn't put this out before they went to bed, which I, I guess is a thing, but I'm like, that seems dangerous. I don't want, I don't want to burn down Colorado, but that's just me. Um, and we see guys playing video games. And one of those is uh, Corey Monteith. Monteith? Exactly. Yeah, Monteith, um, who was from Glee. Yeah. He was wearing a sweet bandana. <laughs> He yeah. was wearing his sweet bandana. And, you know, as we all know, uh, he sadly died in 2013 from an OD. Um, and, and, you know, I, I and the Glee curse, you know, all the people who died from Glee, they're up to three now. I'm not saying I, it's a thing, but it's uh, a thing. Um, I loved him. Yeah, he's a sweet guy. Uh, so we have this one tent, and then there's a growling outside, and then we go and see another tent where uh, Tommy, who's played by Graham Wardle. Uh, so Graham Wardle is actually from a super secret guilty pleasure of mine, the show that's filmed in Canada called Heartland. And it's a it's basically like a Canadian Hallmark show that's about a girl who's a horse whisperer. And so it's just all about horses and the hardship on the ranch up there. It's beautiful. And he plays so, her love wait, interest. You were embarrassed about talking about Twilight. But yeah, I'm going to talk about Heartland. <laughs> and the pon saying. She yeah. makes ponies dance, ponies. okay? It's, ponies. Pony it's okay. got ponies. And I um, like ponies. I'm gonna, I just want to backtrack. You mentioned the video games. I'm just going to point yeah. out, they were roughing it hard and they'd supposedly been out there for six days and they're freaking Game Boys or whatever the hell they were playing still had power. I just find that a little questionable. That, that's but I guess those are probably but, battery. Those are, the ones, those are the ones where you pop out the battery and you have to charge it. Yeah, I, I think, okay. I don't know. But how are they communicating then. with each other? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not a, a video too. game person. I, know. I, was, I don't know. I'm like, I kind of know like real video games. Like we can talk about a Sega Genesis and then I kind of conceptually get modern stuff where it's all like web-based and you charge it, but it's basically your like a fancy phone at that point but there we go i was i was questioning their ability to play video games and use their sat phone still with being there for that long the sat phone i could see because that probably had a charger on it so generally there. sat phones are made to be out in the wilderness long time yeah that's true yeah. and you turn it off when you're not using it so yeah but he's also getting damn good reception on a sat phone and able to send like video, vo video <laughs> messages like I, tell me what sat phone you have because i want to take that to the rich yeah um, I worked at, like some i've worked at like some places that had like sat phones and they were not that fancy and it was probably later in a time frame than this show was shot yep but Anyways. you know i guess right. tommy tommy got some good money when his parents died and bought bought a good sat phone i guess apparently so all right i'll i'll i, I digress i'll leave it i'll go back to you <laughs> we, we talked about the uh the the, the camping set up in the two tents they got the fire going go for it okay so then the guy whose names i don't know i, I just have him as guy maybe that's his name he goes outside to pee on a tree and then he hears scary things so this would probably fall into reason why camping sucks you have to go pee on a tree 
Um, and if you're a girl, peeing outside is problematic because you have to make sure that you're squatting and you don't pee on your shoes. It's or your pants. It's, or your pants. And it takes a lot of dexterity. So yeah. Um, so then, you know, there's scary noises and Gary pokes his head outside and then he gets eaten. Or something. I mean, that we we know. I mean, whatever. I don't know. I, I'm assuming seen. he got. He's, there's a lot of there's a lot of rustling and screaming and blood. So uh, makes sense. But, All right. Yeah. So then there's a bunch of scary outside tent action, and which also freaks me out about tents in the woods at night when there's a campfire and there's a shadow oh, on the outside, oh. and it's just a tree branch. But you know, it could be a windigo. You don't or know. Or a monster or a monster, or a serial killer, or a pervert, or a bunny. You just don't know what is making those shadows. Nope. No. Uh, so Tommy then looks really like he has to poop. And then there are claws that go down the tent walls. And then we're assuming that Tommy gets smudged. Or does he? Dun, dun, dun. All right. So anything else about why camping is lame at this point? Oh, no, not yet. That, that's, I think that covers most of it. Okay. Well, so yeah, we made our point. I <laughs> made our point, and we'll probably come back to it again. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, so now we're going to switch, and the television tells us that we're in pa back in Palo Alto, and Sam is in a suit at a grave and looking at Jessica's grave, and he sadly says, you always said roses are lame, because they are. They really, really are. I don't want I never want to get roses. They smell bad. They smell like old ladies. Oh. Um oh. I I hate all things oh. rose oh. smell. Really? You're a much girlier girl than I am. Oh. But, um I thought the, the bouquet he had was lovely. So it was very lovely. It had some nice lilies in it. I'm just yeah. I'm not I'm, I'm not, the only I don't have like strong feelings like anti any specific flower. Except my sister is hardcore anti carnation. That's her thing. It's pretty funny. Oh, it's kind of a shitty flower. It is, but yeah, and she was also in a probably a bunch of things where you had to do carnations, like sororities and other girl things I don't know about, but yeah, I can see that. Anyways, so, yeah. so but Sam says some sad things, talking, yeah. And he talked about being able to always, he promised he'd keep her, he, they replayed the part where he says he promised he'd keep her safe. Oops. Oops. Yep. Which and then, also a really big promise to make. I'm just, yeah, no, you should never make that promise. Um, it's a little little much to promise somebody so but then poof a hand comes out of the ground and they fold you and we're in baby because it was just a dream yeah, it was all a dream did you I jump totally jumped oh, hell yeah <laughs> are you fucking kidding me come on now we've discussed this i'm very jumpy very jumpy okay. So in the in the Netflix version, when he wakes up, there is a band named Steve Fister playing She Ain't Lonesome. But in the original airing, it was Foreigner Hot-Blooded. Um, and then I started looking through things and pretty much, so I'm not going to do this in every episode, but they have switched the music for all of the Netflix episodes from what was originally aired. And there was much better rock played in the original not that the independent ones aren't so i'm going to assume that licensing. netflix did not want to cough up the money for the licensing, licensing. yeah because um, i was looking it up too i was i was like huh i want to look back at the music that was in this one i'm like that's not what i heard wait a minute so yeah yeah and i thought about i was like well do i just go and buy all the originals and watch them that way but then i figured that everybody who was watching this along with us is likely watching it on netflix um some people may have a dvd player 
I, I think I actually have DVDs of this somewhere buried in boxes. I don't have a DVD player, but somewhere I think I have DVDs of this. But anyway, so um, let's just say that we're probably not going to talk that much about music in these episodes because it's not the original music. So eh, it unless was it's really fine, funny. but it was like, it was fine. Yep. I wasn't like, I was like, oh, this song is awesome. I need to look this up. But it wasn't, I'm not, no knock. It's just, didn't stand out, put it that way. Yeah. Uh, so, so Sam wakes up. Car. And, yep. And Sam is refusing to talk about his nightmare. Dean says, hey, you know, I'll even let you drive. And then Sam just continues being a whiny bitch. And he says, no. So, yeah, I'm all for bottling up your feelings, but there's a, there's a limit where you're just becoming super annoying and passive aggressive. So, yes. all right. So then we're at the Rangers office and they're in there and then Dean's like, check out the size of this freaking bear. And that's like, goodbye. <laughs> be anywhere yeah. there's a bear that big. No, no pass. I'm not going to camp there. I don't want to hang out there. Like, I mean, bears can be cute and all, but nah. I mean, yes, bears can be cute, but from a distance. Not when they're eating your face. Not when they're eating your face. So they lie to Ranger Dick about, I don't even know his name. I just assume everyone's saying Ranger right. Dick. Um, they lie about being environmental study majors, which at first is actually, that's actually a believable thing. Like I could look at you and be like, yeah, yeah. you might be an environmental study. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. That's like the first cover that actually was like, oh, all right. All right. That I've heard. Yep. Um, so, you know, they get the backstory about Haley and really don't have a lot of talk about in this scene. Um, and basically Dean's like, Hey, we're going to go talk to Haley. And then Sam's like, Oh, I want to, and, but he's not driving. So he basically has to go where the car takes him. So, haha, Sam. So they get to Haley's door and now they're park rangers. I mean, it's believable. Yeah, and then Haley asks for ID. I'm like, who has ID for park rangers? Like, and that's not something I'd be like, can you show me your park ranger ID? And yeah, but if some dudes that look like some like frat bros showed up at my door and were like, we're park rangers, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Bye. Well, I mean, if I had a brother that was missing in the woods and then people well, came maybe. to my door and oh, said they were fair. park rangers, I'd probably be like, this makes sense to me. And thank you for um, coming to help me. Yeah, at least somebody is. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. So she takes a shitty ranger fake ID, um, and they're just and she's like, "Fine, I guess this is who you are." Um, and then Dean perves out again because he saw a pretty girl. I mean, she's real cute, but still, like, God damn it, Dean, put it in your pants. Um, so then they sit down, you know, and they start. I, Again, I really have a ton to say about the scene. So they're sitting down, uh, they're questioning Haley, they're watching the videos that were sent over the sat phone. Um, then Sam gets this kind of like someone farted look while he's on there and like, oh, I saw something. And that says, you know, I, I, I recognize something on here. So right. <laughs> uh, anything to say about this before we go to the bar? No, I was just already laughing about like how Dean was already like skeezing on her. I was like, oh. Course he is but it was also like kind of obvious like oh of course he's gonna have the hots for this chick yeah well of course like every girl that's in this is i mean it's hollywood but of course they're always super hot well done i mean just horrible yep so okay so now we, we segue and they're at the bar and sam has determined that a bunch of folks have gone missing in the woods he is researching like the wind I mean, he even has photocopies of things in the library into it 
he's on yeah it. i mean he must have gotten some microfilm done super super fast yeah um and he realizes that every 23 years someone goes missing and sam's like did you see that in the video something ran behind tommy's tent and then oh my god there's a survivor we have to go talk to the survivor so then they go to the cabin anything about the bar before we go on no no i've got, I've got a comment on the cabin though Okay, so we go to the cabin and we meet Mr. Shaw and Dean's giving him some sexy eyes. And I was like, okay, so maybe Dean's also really impressed with Mr. Shaw. Or maybe it's because he couldn't freaking see because that place was so damn dark. Like, why does this guy <laughs> have no lights? That was my concern. I'm like, okay, well, I could smell the room he's in because he's smoking in his place. And as a smoker, I'm like the indoor smoking thing. Just, I know. Anyways, the whole thing but i'm like why is his cabin so dark why does he not have a light on anywhere it doesn't even seem like at this point it would be that late at night yet maybe it would be weird to pop over to this guy's place be like oh, we're gonna talk about this time you were like lied about an attack as a child after dark that just seems like an appropriate time to come to your place when you have no lights i don't know it was just that part bothered me I'm like some of, us, some of us just like to live in the dark diana it is a place for some of us <sighs> All right. So, All right. you know, they start talking to Mr. Shaw and they're like, man, we'll believe you. Yeah. And he's like, what? Oh my God. Someone believes me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he starts telling in the story. He's like, oh my God, it moved too fast to see. It got inside our cabin, but it was locked, Diana. The cabin was locked and unlocked it. Did you know a bear that could do something like that? And I'm like, whoa, a bear that could unlock a door. And I'm pretty sure I could go into YouTube and find a bear unlocking a door. I, I bet that's somewhere can, out there. We can find some if somebody has video of that, just send that to me because I would like to see a bear unlocking yeah. a door. That sounds pretty yeah. impressive. Um, so we find out that this creature killed Mr. Shaw's parents, but he was he survived, but he got a really cool scar. I mean that it's is a pretty it's a pretty cool scar. It's a badass scar. And Dean yeah. and Dean is also like, I like your scar. And Dean's jealous of the scar. Dean wants that scar. He does. So he knows the tricks, right. so I think it's hot. Anyways. So they leave Mr. Shaw's and they start walking to the car and they start talking about things, you know. Like skinwalkers and black dogs. Yep. Okay. Could be a skinwalker, could be a black dog. But then he opens up trunk. Hi trunk. Hi trunk. Team trunk. <laughs> team trunk for life so then they start loading a duffel bag with weapons and this seems like a very poor choice for me like you know you're going into the woods like how would you are you just going to fumble through the duffel bag looking for your gun um you would think at some point they would have like at least um spacing on the word what's the word for the the military style backpack um that all the cool tactical guys have a molly bag okay. like you would think they'd have like a molly bag or something yeah or maybe something like something to survive with other than weapons because weapons are cool but if you're going out into the woods you don't know how long you're going to be there hey we do find out later he brought food see and he brought some good choices <laughs> okay. uh, but yes yeah they're just like piling weapons into a bag like haphazardly it's great yeah and he just i don't know i was like it seems like an awkward thing to carry i i do not approve of your weapon bag no balance That's so. yeah, yeah. All right, so now we're back in the woods again. We meet up with Haley, and she has a guide who looks oh so friendly. And she does knock Dean for hiking in biker boots and jeans, but, I mean, they're just fair, but also I go into the woods in Converse and have it in the woods in combat boots and many other things, so. I mean, like, honestly, depending on, like, your comfort level, any kind of boot can be good in the woods. I just, I, I do 
question your Converse a little bit, but you know, if you're on a trail, who cares? The only problem with Converse, at least in South Texas, is that mesquite, like if those of you who don't know what mesquite are, they're these really ornery brushes, a brush tree, whatever, and they have really big thorns in them. And I have had those thorns go through the bottom of my shoe a number of times. And and I'm just, I guess my like aging complaint would be like, I need a little more support than a Converse can give me these days. Like they just don't. Well, you know, there's the 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 Converse too has arch support in it now. That's true. That's true. That's fair. Those are the ones I wear. I wear cheap ass Converse. Anyways. Um, all right. So, all right, so, so they're in the woods with Haley and what was, uh, oh gosh, uh, Roy, her hunter. Roy. Yeah. Yes. And the brother, her little brother and, uh, and of course Sam and Dean. So they're in yep. the woods looking around and Roy is not entertained by Sam and Dean at all. Nope. Roy's just a dick. Hmm. Things happen to dicks, Roy. Gotta be nicer. Yeah. Um, all right, so then we're going to pan, and we see Tommy's alive, and he's hanging in a cave, and he sees somebody hanging next to him. I think it's Gary. It looks like Gary, but he's real dirty, so it's kind of hard to tell if it's Gary or not. Um, then we see the shadow of something that is tall, skinny, and furry, and it comes up, and it starts you know, eating Gary while Tommy just chews on his lip because he's afraid. Yeah, and it's obviously not a bear at this point. I'm just going to point that out. <laughs> bears are it's, not typically it's not a bear tying people up yeah no we've we're now clear that this is not a bear because bears we've are established not it's not a bear. Up. we've established that at this point this is the point where it's clear not a bear just in case anybody was wondering oh all right so then we go back to them walking through the woods and dean is being a bit of an asshole and karma pays him back instantly when he almost steps on a bear track a trap and then and then Haley points out that the duffel bag is dumb. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Haley. <gasps> and then Dean's oh. like, it's the most honest I've ever been with a woman, which is not saying a lot. And I'm like, what kind of line do you think that's going to work on a girl? But sure. Um, so, you know, it becomes too quiet. And Dean's like, you know, Roy, you shouldn't go off by yourself. And then Roy is like, I'm an uppity dick. And then we all know you're going to get it, Roy, because that's what's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. And they stumble onto the campsite, and it's all shredded and bloody. So they're also like, okay, guess not a could still be a bear. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but then Dean figures out that the bodies were dragged from the campsite and then just disappear. And he is like, well, I guess this isn't a skinwalker or a black dog. Or and a bear. At this, yeah, at this time, you know, I had to stop and go look up what a black dog was beyond, you know one of diana's dogs she's a very cute black dog um so and this is just wikipedia i didn't dive too deep, deeply into this one so a black dog is a motif of a spectral or demonic entity found primarily in the folklore of the british isles the black dog is essentially a nocturnal apparition in some cases a shapeshifter and is often said to be associated with the devil or described as a ghost or a supernatural hellhound so hmm that's black dog. I, I, when I kept hearing black dog, I won't lie. I, my brain was going to um, uh, Padfoot. So if you want your Harry Potter drop in, there we go. Well, I mean, Padfoot wasn't evil. No, he wasn't. But then, like you know, the tea leaves and everything else. Like I don't know. So there we go. That's from. Well, that's brain. the Grim. I know, but I'm there's a black dog. I'm just saying. But the Grim wasn't Padfoot. No, it wasn't. But I'm just saying that that was my supernatural like brain was going there. That's uh-huh. where I went. 
that's all other supernatural brain okay Um, not tv show supernatural just general (laughs) fantasy brain was going there i'm like black dog is that about yeah so anyway so back to the camp uh so Haley finds a sat phone and it's on bloody uh they hear screaming in the distance uh roy runs away and he runs with his gun i'm like they they drop all of their gear and run for the record (laughs) you can't run with a duffel bag well you can it's just yeah. challenging yeah and so roy's running with the rifle dina's running with a gun and he's just they're all just waving them around willy-nilly and look very very bad uh gun safety gun safety all never run with guns like that um sam also doesn't have a gun mm-hmm. um no so this is running through the wall the and then you know eventually they go back to the camp and all the gear is gone because you left it there yes uh, so yeah, they're bitching at each other and eventually Sam pulls Dean off to the side. He opens up Dav's journal and he says, he thinks it's a Wendigo. I think he says Wendigo, but, um, and, but Dean objects because he's like, well, you know, Wendigos aren't in Minnesota woods or, you know, I mean, they aren't here. We, they're normally right. in Minnesota woods or Northern Michigan. I've never heard of them this far West. Yeah. Um, and they start giving you a little bit of stuff about it, but not a ton. And as soon as they say this word, and obviously I saw it earlier in the episode too, but uh, I want to pronounce it like Buddy the Elf pronounces Francisco. And I'd like to share that. So it's Wendigo. Wendigo. I'm like, oh, this is a fun word to say. Wendigo. <laughs> Which is not probably the accent in the proper place. Don't care. I enjoy saying it that way. And that's what plays in my head every time I read it or say it. Wendigo. <laughs> All right. So Diana has her Wendigo. Mm-hmm. Um, and we determined that you know guns are going to be useless against them. So, like, what else did you put in the duffel bag? Huh, man. Well, um, and Sam's they would do this morning. He's like, "Hey, we got to get out of here." And then, of course, there's another pissing contest between Ro and the boys. Just imagine them out already. And then Haley's like, "Hey, my brother's still out here, and I would like to stay and look for them." And they're like, "Well, yeah." Also apparently they walked really far and it's like, it's going to take us a while to get back to the car. We might as well stay here. Um, and Dean's like, you know, but you've got, we've got to be prepared because you know, this thing's a good hunter during the day, but an unbelievable hunter at night. And so we need to protect ourselves. How? So Dean starts putting down some Anasazi symbols that he says the Wendigo won't cross over. And I will talk later why that is, an issue um but that's fine but then roy is being a dick again so you're gonna get it roy um and then dean asks sam why he's being such a little bitch thank you dean um and sam just whines that he can't understand why they were there and you know clearly you know dad's never been here so why are we here and then you know dean brings out the journal and dun, really dun, dun. it's like dun 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 and gives us you know one of the main points of the show is you know i think he wants to pick up where he left off saving people hunting things the family business uh so my craft for this week was i made a giant painting of that sign along with baby uh, so that will be on the instagram for all of y'all to see Please share your supernatural crafts with us. We'd love to see them. We need to come up with a hashtag for that. Uh, supernatural crafty. Hashtag. It's really yeah. long. Yeah. We'll think. We'll figure it out. You get to give a good hashtag. Something that's punny. Let's know. Um, but then you know, Sam's also like he was like, well, that doesn't really make any sense. Why doesn't he call us and tell us where he is? 
And you know, that's true. Really, Dan, leave a fucking voicemail. <laughs> like, why are you leaving weird clues? I mean, like, send an email, like anything. Like, oh, why are you being so cryptic, dad? Buy a stamp. I mean, you can mail a damn letter. Who cares? I don't know. Something. Well, I don't know where they would well, mail it to. Yeah. yeah, that's that's challenging. But still, like something. There's even at the you know we don't weren't at quite at this technological time that we're at now because of the timeline here. But like, well, clearly you could buy a sat phone that could send uh, videos. Yeah, I mean you've got sat video sat phones. I mean you can figure out a way to send a damn message to someone like be like here's here's where I fucking am. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. But yeah, I yeah I, I won't dig the the Anasazi thing stuck out to me. Um, and then so they're arguing, and then like as much as Roy is kind of a dick, he kind of just like him and Haley just kind of go along with them. By the way, I thought that was interesting. I'm like he's like shitty about it, but he's still kind of like eh, whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and something else too, you know, no shit. During, she's down for whatever for what helps her brothers. Haley doesn't make really any choices on her own, barely. No, but. no. She's like, well, you're looking for my brother. I'm good. That's it. Yeah. And so, and during like this bro moment, you know, Dean basically says like, he's going to be a daddy's boy and he's going to do what dad wants them to do. But he makes a really good point that I think that, you know, helping other people make you feel better, makes you feel better about your own crap. But also, so does killing as many evil sons as bitches as I possibly can. So, yes, I mean, these things, helping other people makes you feel better about yourself and makes your stuff seem less, less painful. And then also sometimes just smacking things around also makes you feel better. That's why there are rage rooms now, which is kind of, you know. Um. All right. So they hear a help me in the woods. I don't think it's quite that. that no, it, was much, it was much deeper. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> I really wish you just like, help me, Dean. You're my only hope. Uh, so Dean is trying to keep everybody calm. But of course, Roy is a dick. So he's going to get it. Um, and, and let's point out that they were saying that like, oh, guns are going to be useless. It's going to make it more angry. And then what does Roy have? He has a gun and yeah. he it goes off running with the gun again and then you know obviously you're gonna get it roy and then he does when something hanging hanging upside down from the tree picks him up by his head i'm like ow and that had to be a really interesting stunt double too i guess i could have it around his waist but getting picked up by your head seems real painful yeah yeah i don't know I'm, i can't say that i've experienced that so well, let's not let's not try that later. Um, all right, so Roy is gone. We will not be doing stunts for the record. All right, <laughs> moving on. So Roy's gone because he shot at it after they made a big deal about shooting it was going to piss this thing off, and then the, the Wendigo was going to get pissed <laughs> if he shot at it. So they freaking go and shoot at it, and nobody tells Roy, "Hey, stop freaking shooting at this thing because you're just going to piss it off more and make things worse." But Roy's just like, you know, guns blazing, you know, out in the woods. So there we go. And then Roy's dead. All right. So here we go. Uh, now we're going to talk. I think they talk more about the legend, right? I mean, that's kind of right. Yeah. yeah. So they comes back to the camp and morning has risen. So I guess they either this has been going on all night or they're sitting there. Sam has found himself a real nice sitting tree and he's leaning up against it and he's stroking the journal and you know I guess he's come to this decision that you know he's turned a corner he wants he wants to kill the evil son of whatever he calls it um and they start breaking down into the supernatural version of the Wendigo 
And according to Supernatural, the Wendigo is a Cree Indian word, which means evil that devours. Each one was once a man. And they're like, well, how does a man turn into such a thing? Basically, there's a harsh winter, uh, you're starving. And then eventually that drives you to cannibalism. Um, so the basics, you know, you eat enough people, you become less than human, you're always hungry. Um, and so they're like, well, Tommy could still be alive because, you know, it wants to store food so we can feed whenever it wants. And it's like, well, how do we stop it? You know, guns are useless. So are knives. So we got to torch the sucker, which I think torch the sucker needs to become something. So. Torch the sucker. Yeah. And, and I like that they were ready to freaking roll with a Molotov cocktail. That's pretty bad. Yeah, and we get into my thoughts about Molotov cocktails in a minute. So I'm going to pause here and go to some actual lore. Um, probably a, a theme song or something for for the lore time. Some some spooky story lore time. time. So it's lore time. Um, so obviously this episode, a lot of talk about you know the historical legend of the Wendigo. Um, so Diana. Wendigo. <laughs> Are you ready to be spooky? Uh, turn off your lights. Nope. Uh, so some things kind of right off the bat. I want to say um, there has been some modern interpretations of the Wendigo. Uh, these creatures with deer antlers on their heads. You might have seen that in things like Hannibal. Although the Wendigo legend has said to have inspired the Hannibal Lecter character, but it really is more of a modern thing. Um, it's also been a lot of pop culture, like Pet Cemetery. There's even Wendigos and My Little Fucking Pony. They're um, that look absolutely nothing like anything else. But yeah, so Wendigos have become a part of that. Uh, also, a lot of people say, oh, when they hear Wendigo, they're like Skinwalkers. And no, that's something from the Midwest. Uh, but that's a different thing. Uh, and they did get some of the lore in the episode, uh, right? Did follow alongside uh, traditional mythology, uh, like saying they weren't normally seen in places like Colorado and were often a result of cannibalism. Uh, obviously, some things were strange, like using the Anasazi symbols for protection, since most of the lore comes from Algonquin tribal mythology. And these are two different nations of uh, indigenous uh, people. Um, so, Belief in the, in the Wendigo is really part of a cultural mythology, and I'm going to try and be as respectful as I can, because this is really key to a lot of the Algonquin culture. Uh, but also, I do suffer from foot and mouth disease, so if I say anything or mispronounce things and not intentionally trying to be offensive, that is just, you know, who I am, and I will probably offend a lot of people. So... Anyhow, uh, so it's the general mythos behind this. Uh, oh, also, I have a shit ton of sources for this, and so I'm not going to cite everything as I go through, but we will post these sources in our show notes so you can go back and you can read up more on the mythology because it's really fascinating. Hashtag so, sources. Hashtag sources. I'm kidding. Um, citations are important. Citations are important. I will not be doing them in MLA or Chicago because I already have two graduate degrees and I have spent enough time doing bibliographies that I do not want to do that anymore. Yeah. Yep. Mm. I degrade them. I degrade them. Ugh. Oh, God. So I have tech editors now. All right. So general mythos. So 
According to most Algonquin oral traditions, a Wendigo is a cannibalistic monster that preys on the weak and socially disconnected. It can come as a spirit form, possess you, or turn into a giant monster. But in general, there are three types. There's an evil spirit that possesses you. A per- it could be a person driven to cannibalism and madness, or it could be a large non-human or former human, which is more of the monster thing, which is more of what we're seeing in this episode. Uh, like I said, it originates with the Algonquin twi- tribes indigenous to the Great Lakes, Eastern Seaboard of Canada, and the Northern U.S. Uh, the first written recording for this appears out of the 17th century Jesuit letters, and some were sometimes at this point they were associated with werewolves. Uh, and they really have nothing to do with each other, but I think this was around the same time as the werewolf trials were going on in Europe, so I think they had werewolves on their mind, and I like how Diana's face perked up when I said werewolf trials, because that was the thing. Um, I miss those. Yeah, uh, they were occurring they around this. that in my history class. Yeah, so the witch trials were also yeah. going along with trials of people being werewolves. Uh, so, and the podcast is, I think, and this is why we drank, did an episode on it a few weeks ago. So that was also fresh on my mind. But, uh, but part of the problem with figuring out, you know, the, the mythology behind this is because it was largely an oral tradition. So there's many different versions of the phenomenon. Um, and so I also found a number of references in which it's just been said to many, just talking about the Wendigo is an invitation for a Wendigo possession. So when many researchers have gone to investigate and record the story, they've asked it for it not to be named, which is why Diana, I told you earlier when you thought it was really fun, you know, saying it like the elf, you may want to stop saying it altogether because you could be inviting possession thanks i appreciate that update uh yep so there are at least more than 37 names for it that just begin with w uh so because it's been a part of so many different cultures and so many different tribes and it was passed along through oral tradition Obviously, there's a number of different names for it. Uh, Wendigo is one of the general and more accepted ones. Uh, That word has been said to mean the evil spirit that devours mankind. And like they said in the show, no matter how much they eat, they will always be hungry. And it's, you know, often connected to winter by way of cold, desolation, and selfishness. It's a spirit of destruction and environmental decay. And so have, when you start thinking about that in terms of a society that spends most of its time in the winter, and this is the most time when yeah. Wendigo possessions would start coming or the monster would be coming because people are hungry. Resources um, are limited. Yeah, Resources I mean. are limited. And a lot of it is, is, you know, if you're selfish and basically thinking of yourself by eating another person instead of, you know, <laughs> doing person? anything else for it, then... Yeah, so that's part of the reason why it's associated with, you know, selfishness. So how does one become a Wendigo? In most versions of the legend, a human becomes a Wendigo after his or her spirit is corrupted by greed or weakened by extreme conditions such as hunger or cold. In other legends, humans become Wendigos when possessed by a prowling spirit during a moment of weakness. So depending on the lore, people can turn into them or be possessed by them um, through dreams. And dreams is really a large part of this. It's also just a large part of indigenous culture altogether. But um, 
Oh, so dream possession. Okay, I turned my light back on. I turned the light okay. off because I was listening to your lore and I got scared. So I turned the light okay. back on. Uh, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so um so you can, you know, dreams is one of the ways that they were seen to be possessed. Um, they can, you could also be cursed by other people. Um, so there would be, you know, tribes that would defend themselves from other tribes sending Wendigo possession to them. So that's terrifying. If, it's just terrifying. But um, also, if you're in a state of mental turmoil, you're more likely to open yourself up to becoming to, pa- to, uh, to becoming possessed. So uh, a lot of times when you are in a state of depression or other things like that, things that often happen during winter, then you are opening you're yourself starving up. starving and freezing. And if you're starving and freezing. Um, so uh, what do Wendigos look like? And so this is really thinking more about that third type, you know, the monster side. Um, and obviously between clans, what actually looked like shifted. But, you know, generally, you know, the theme of a spirit who possessed people and forced them into cannibalism was common. They're often depicted as very thin, but also sometimes as giants. So Wendigos. Wendigos. Yeah. <laughs> Wendigo. I can't help it. I don't know why that got in my head. It's the time of year. Sorry. There we go. It's a, t- it's a time of year, both for Wendigos and for Elf. It is. So, okay, so they're always generally really thin, um, but sometimes there are giants, uh, generally around 14 feet tall, but I've read ones that said they could grow up to be like 30 feet tall. Uh, sometimes they're depicted as having glowing eyes, long yellow fangs, and long tongues. Sometimes they have yellowish skin, or sometimes they're really pale. Sometimes they're matted with hair, and sometimes their skin is decaying. A few sources often said they've chewed off their own lips because they were so hungry they started devouring their own flesh because the hunger couldn't be stopped. But also, one of the main things is many of them say that the creatures are made of ice or at the very least they have a heart of ice. So that goes into uh, ways in which we can kill a Wendigo, which I'll get into in a bit. So sometimes people say they had voices and the voices could paralyze you. So just hearing this could send you into basically being terrified and frozen with horror. Um, But traditionally they don't talk. So the mimicry that we saw in this episode is not something that is often associated with the legend. Morally, it's kind of more like a wailing thing. Um, So kind of almost like a banshee cry. Um, And so that's sometimes why they're also like portents of death. There are some stories where um, you would hear a shaking kettle um, and that would be a premonition that the Wendigo was coming. So shaking kettle, I'm assuming being like a pot that it was going to cook you in. Um, Yeah. So, and the Wendigo is usually, but not always, endowed with powers, things like superhuman strength and stamina that allows it to stalk, overpower, and devour its victims. They well, are these, usually, these obviously had speed. I mean, like, their speed was bonkers. Like, that, that thing moved fucking fast. That was yeah. a big thing for this creature specifically on this, on, for this show, not just the legend, but that makes sense, yep. yeah. Yep. 30 feet tall is absurd. That's not realistic. That's I mean, scary. Like, well, I'm, like, I'm like, that's not realistic. The 30 feet tall. That's where I draw the line of real. <laughs> I can't believe a monster is 30 foot tall. But, but I mean, like, if I'm like, oh, my God, damn. I'm also like, damn, that'd be real tall for Liz. <laughs> Yeah, that would be very tall. That's like six of me. Um, So they're usually also credited with having exceptional eyesight, hearing, and a sense of smell. And they are said to have the ability to walk across deep snow or even open water without sinking. 
so they can walk, on wa- wait, they can walk, walk on water or in walk water? on walk on water so walk across it yeah that's some jesus yeah. shit all right, right. probably the opposite of jesus but okay well i know yeah, um, i'm just saying the walking on water part but not that when not everything else about this creature yeah okay there we go. yeah so um how do you cure someone who has been possessed by a wendigo um honestly the most often thing was death and that was usually followed by a ritual burning and burial in some legends wendigos can be killed with a conventional weapon like a club or a firearm other legends claim that the wendigo has to be somehow subdued and then you have to cut out a tart because its heart's made of ice so and that has that a to cure. be <laughs> Well, it's how well. So the problem is, like, Wendigo possessed by a Wendigo, a Wendigo, and and your cure is to burn me and or cut out my heart. I'm not going to call it a cure. I mean, you defeated the the evil, yeah, or whatever it is. Well, the problem is, is that it's basically it's a, con- it's, the it's a contagious possession. Yeah. So once once oh, someone is within your tribe has been possessed by that then it can likely spread to another um so no, I, also- I was just like i'm like that's just a questionable definition definition of cure but you have to stop the spread obviously but yeah yeah Got it. and some other legends do say that a spiritual leader like a shaman could dispatch it with a spell and a ceremony okay. um and there's lots of different stories about that so um, in sightings of this, these have been seen for five, like past 500 years um, all over, uh, especially like around Canada and the upper Midwest, the Great Lakes area. Uh, and I'm going to talk about the two most famous cases that are associated with Wendigos. Um, but one thing I did say, you know, I saw a number of references um, to Wendigos appearing in the northern Minnesota town of Rousseau in the 1800s to the 1920s. And I did spend an evening scrolling through the Rousseau County Times for those decades. And I only saw a few cases in which people were being missing. Although I did see, you know, Sometimes it's just really fun to sit, go through old newspapers. I did read that there was, at, in 1907, there were seven, several persons that were seriously injured in a McKeesport, Pennsylvania boarding house in a ride over a Christmas turkey. Um, and there was many injuries among the boarders, and the cranberry sauce was missing. Well, that's how that's the story a fucking ends. bummer, man. It is a bummer, but I also think that, you know, it's... It's it's holiday appropriate for when we're recording. No, this. I like it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For for the record, as a, uh, if you're listening, two days ago, we're so this is the Saturday after Thanksgiving that we're recording yeah. this. Um. So uh, yeah, we we all, we all just did that, and uh, that's why I was talking about Christmas and shit. Yeah. yeah, and also shit's about to get real dark. Um and depressing not in a scary way it was going to get real dark so i wanted to give us a bit of humor um and think about some you know people riding over a christmas turkey um and and cranberries and the cran and someone's some dick stole the cranberry sauce so that's a, that's a dick move it is a dick move um, okay, and also just because I didn't find it in the newspapers didn't mean it didn't happen. Uh, I did see it in one books where they kind of went into a little more in depth on it, but basically I think they also just, it was a bad time and they were associating a lot of deaths with, and associating with the Wendigo. So, okay. 
So uh, we're going to talk about two of the most famous things that are associated with Wendigo and it, historically. And the first one is Swift Runner. Um, so I am not going to pronounce his Cree name correctly. Um, he was his Cree name was Kakisi Kuchin. So I apologize if I butchered that because I probably did. So Swift Runner was a Cree from uh, what is now Central Alberta. He was once known as being an upstanding man, but eventually he was kicked out of the community for causing trouble. Uh, the Edmonton Journal says this was because he started drinking whiskey he was trading, and they also, I read somewhere that he was drinking whiskey that had plugs of tobacco in it, which seems real gross, but apparently it was a drink. It's efficient. Um, you can get your booze and your nicotine all at the same yeah. time, Liz. I'm doing that right now, but um, <laughs> so, but also this, th this seems to be one of the things that are attributed to his troubles. Yeah. So things get bad and he's basically kicked out of the community. Um, he moved out to the woods with his wife and his mother, his brother and his six children. And then in 1879, he came back from his winter camp to the community area, but he came back as alone and his in-laws were basically like, what's up? You know, where is everybody? And he really didn't give them a good answer. And they informed the mounted police. So the mounted police had only been in this area for about five years at this point. So the Mounties go looking for the camp and they couldn't find it. And eventually Swift Runner himself went to the Mounties in the spring. And, you know, they asked him what was going on. And at first he said, you know, his wife had killed herself and the children had all died from starvation. But they looked at him and they're like, well, you're pretty well fed. Like he was, you know, over 200 pounds. Like I think he was 6'3". He was a very large man. And they're like, well, we're not really believing this. Uh, so basically they took him up to his camp, which was north of Fort Saskatchewan. And that's where they found the remains of his family. So when Swift Runner told his story, he said he was first haunted by dreams that a Wendigo spirit came to him and told him to consume those around him. And slowly the spirit took over. And his confession was published in the Saskatchewan Herald. Uh, he confessed to a Reverend Father Leduc, uh, who was a French Catholic missionary. And according to his confession, in the middle of starvation, his mother and brother left in search of food. Swift Runner soon sent his wife and children to follow them, with the exception of his 10-year-old boy. And I'm going to go light in a lot of these details because they get really, really disturbing. So... Basically, pushed by an evil spirit, Swift Runner killed his son, this 10-year-old boy, and he ate him down to sucking the marrow of his bones. He left the house and went wandering through the woods where he came upon his wife and children. They said they never found his mother and brother. He told them that the son had died of starvation, but they didn't seem to totally believe him. Then after three days of rejoining him, the eldest son died. They buried him. And then just to say how bad off they were, you know, we were then reduced to boil some pieces of our leather tent, our shoes and buffalo robes in order to keep ourselves alive. Eventually though, the spirit came back to Swift Runner and he did kill his wife and then his three girls. He and his youngest son fed off their remains. So he fed his wife and his three girls to his his seven-year-old so when spring arrived he's told his son that they, it's very, this is a very upsetting story um so when spring arrived he told his son that they would meet people soon and they would know what he did and make him die but he assured his son that he wouldn't harm him 
And sadly, while they were only a few miles from his, you know, from his relatives while sitting at the campfire, the spirit overtook Swift Runner again, and he killed the last of his children and ate him. Um, After all that time? That's some bullshit. Yeah. He like, kept alive, told him a little sad-ass shit. The kid's like, all right, I'm going to be all right. I guess. I mean, yeah. not mentally, obviously. I mean, therapy was probably No, not. no, but it's not going to be all right. No, no. Dad's going to eat you, too. Yep. So, and then according to his confession, you know, he didn't kill his mother or his brother. And while they were never seen again, you know, most people are like, well, why would, you know, at this point, you're already telling us everything. You would probably admit to doing this. That's fair-ish. Yep. So, uh, so the Mounties take him back to Fort Saskatchewan and his trial began in August 8th, 1879. So the judge and the jury, which included three English speaking Cree, four men who were well up in the Cree language and a Cree man who translated proceedings for, for Swift Runner. Um, so that Swift Runner would know what was being said, found him guilty of murder, and he was sentenced to be hanged. So this would become the first execution in the Canadian Northwest Territories. So they really had, this becomes a problem because they really didn't know what they were doing. So he was convicted earlier, but the execution was slated to take place on December 20th at 7.30 a.m. in 1879. So it's negative 40 degrees because it's fucking Canada. Uh, it's fucking so, cold. Yep. And so they don't really know what they're doing. And there's a whole bunch of, there's a crowd out there because uh, they've never seen a man hanged. People are gross. Um, and so while they're waiting for, um, they're waiting for the magistrate or somebody to get there, they were basically outside for two hours and for, for a while. I'm like, let's, let's get this going. And then they found out the crowd had taken the trap from the gallows and burned it for warmth. So they had to rebuild the trap. Womp womp. Yep. The hangman, who was an army pensioner, paid $50, forgot to bind his arms. But eventually, uh, so two hours after it was supposed to start, he was led to the gallows. And just before the trap fell, Swift Runner said, I am no longer a man. And Swift Runner went down with fearful force, there being a drop of five feet, the Daily Evening Murky reported. He died without a struggle. The body was cut down in an hour, in an hour and buried in the snow outside the fort. Um, which is pretty much thought to be a lie because it's really hard to bury in the snow. Uh, nobody, uh, nobody knows where he's buried. Uh, one of the people I'll talk reference the book later, uh, Chad Lewis said, you know, they went looking for it and they really couldn't find it. But um, yeah, so that took place in Fort Saskatchewan. Uh, I happened to Saskatchewan. It's lovely, but I also went there in the summer. So uh, I've been, and I've been to Edmonton, which was, you know, um, but Saskatchewan is a beautiful place. I have not been to Canada. I'll make that clear. Canada's awesome. I'm not, I'm not necessarily anti-Canada. I just haven't had a reason to go to Canada. Yeah. But I'm not really a winter person, so that probably feeds into it somewhere. Yeah, I've been there in mild winter for, to various parts, but I've never gone, like, super deep. I, I just, I just, I being the Texan, like, ignorant asshole that I am, I just assume that they're summer is much like our winter in texas no the summer's beautiful i went uh fishing <laughs> on a lake hey, and I'm, yeah. not, I'm not that dumb i promise I'm yep. just, just well, I, I know. But it's also really it's really interesting too because there's such mm -hmm. few time for um road construction to happen because everything is always under winter so in the summer like it's crazy road construction so i had to drive back from 
was north, I forget what part of Saskatchewan it was, so basically like six hour drive. And I was going through a lot of the reservations and others, but there was like going over all these weird dirt roads and things that I'm not sure where my GPS took me. I went through some mountains, but by the time I got back to and turn my Jeep in, like the, you could just see like what, like there was one little hole outside the dirt you could see through. But um, anyhow, okay. So that was a super depressing story of Swift Runner. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for Thanks, bringing so. us all down with that one because uh, oh, it's going to get, it's gonna get our, he, he ate his family. That's great. Lovely. Yeah. So it's going to get worse. Oh, God um, it, Liz. Well, and it's going to get worse <laughs> just from a, a cultural perspective, less from a eating your baby's perspective. Um, oh, I so. can take that. Cultural, cultural, cultural depression. Got it. Handle that. Ba- baby eating is where I get sad, apparently. Mm-hmm. You know, not turning my so, life So, yeah. Yeah, the lights are back on. So if this isn't a scary story, it's just very <gasps> depressing. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about Jack Fiddler. Uh, so like we were talking about earlier, most of the clans believe that a person by a Wendigo would need to be taken out in order to cure them. And many thought to be possessed would ask for this to happen so they could stop themselves from hurting other people around them. And the person most likely to do this would be a shaman, although not always. But this is going to lead us to the story of Jack Fiddler. So Jack Fiddler, who was known to his own people as he who stands in the southern sky, was a shaman and a leader of the, um, I'm going to say it's the sucker people. If there's a better presentation, I'm real sorry, but there was never a phonetic guide for this. Um, so the Sucker people were a clan of a, within a large community of Ojibwe Cree, Cree uh, who lived, who are today known as the Sandy Lake First Nation, and they lived off of Sandy Lake in northwestern Ontario. Uh, so at that time, Sandy Lake was cut off from the main trade routes up until around the mid 1800s. But the people themselves of the area did travel around. They were largely hunter and gatherers, dependent on nature, which could either be means times could be really good, or you could have a lot of famine because you're dependent on the environmental circumstances. They're very spiritual with a strong believer, belief in the creator. And at about 1864, the Hudson Bay Company, which is pretty much the largest fur trading uh, corporation within Canada at the time, reopened a trading post at Island Lake. And the okay. leader at this time was Porcupine Standing Sideways, uh, who was also the early. That's a great ex- name. It is a great name. Yeah. Porcupine um, Standing Sideways. Yeah, and Porky, he's a really, really great leader, and there's some really good stories about him. Uh, he's also probably the earliest recorded person of the Sandy Lake Nation. Um, and there were five clans at this time. There was the Sucker, the Pelican, the Crane, the Sturgeon, and the Caribou. And so the Fiddlers, so that's Porcupine Standing Sideways, who is Jack's dad, um, they were part of the Sucker clan. So the trading post opens and the clans are trading furs in exchange for weaponry, clothing, and alcohol. And over the next few decades, there is a time of famine, alcoholism, and depleted natural resources and stories of the Wendigo, basically because it's a manifestation of evil or misfortune begin to rise. And Porcupine Standing Sideways gains renowned as a leader and a shaman who protects his people from the Wendigo. And at this time, these HBC traders knew about the Wendigo phenomenon and witnessed the actions of the Korea that they would take against it, including killing those that thought to be the Wendigos. But the authorities were even alerted to this, um, like the lieutenant governor of the nearby district and the postmasters. But they were looked over, either because it was a means to not risk damaging the fur trade 
or because the relationship between the Cree and the traders at this time was largely non-confrontational. So we think about historically, that's, it's an important shift, right? So up until this time, basically everybody was like, we're going to leave you alone. You have your yeah. own laws. Y'all do your thing. You got your own, do your you thing. Got, you got your stuff going on. You got yeah. handled whatevs. Yep. Uh, but eventually, you but. know, uh, porcupine, porcupine standing sideways dies. And he <laughs> says he died when he was 120. Porcupine standing sideways. Yep. So, if you're not in the whole, in the whole brevity thing. Yep. So he died when he was 120 years old. And Jack becomes the leader of the soccer clan. I think he was about 61 at this time. And he and his brother, Joseph, um, his another name, which is Pesaquan. I think I said that right. Uh, but they become known as defeaters of the Wendigo. Uh, Jack has attributed to taking out somewhere between four and 20 people that were affected by Wendigos, uh, but that depends on what story that you read. So at this time, the mounted police start wanting to assert a little bit more authority. And in 1907, they learned of a woman. Her name was Wasaka Pique. And she had been brought to the brothers in the state of delirium, which was a sign that she was succumbing to Wendigo possession. She was in a great deal of pain, and it was determined to prevent her transformation she would need to be killed. As several members of the tribes held her hands and legs, Jack and Joseph slipped a, slipped a cotton-covered cloth, which was a string, around her neck and pulled until her death was final. A hole was quickly dug and filled with wood, and she was burned to prevent the Wendigo from returning. So she's put to death. She's burned to, you know, to stop the Wendigo from possessing other members of the clan. But the Mounties hear about this and they come and they arrest and charge the brothers with murder on June 15th. So thinking about the time. Mounties ain't buying this, this possession crap. They're like, no, y'all are are murdering your sister. Well, really is likely a means for the mounted police to basically to attempt to assert dominance and control over the people. Because, you know, the, the, in so the culture... Cultural, so you're saying it's a cultural attack as opposed it's to pretty a... pretty much a cultural somebody. attack. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, the Mounties are there and then people are like, you know, we're not murdering people. This is, you know, we're putting taking, taking somebody out of her suffering, right? right? The same well, thing like you would do with the wounded animal. You know, but this is how we how we deal with this here. And this well, is... We're getting some weird euthanasia shit, so let's not go down that road. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, but anyways, so... The, but, the, but the Mounties were like nah y'all can't do that shit and the and the tribe was like this is our internal rules and that's kind of- right so but jack and joseph end up going with the mounties willingly and basically they're just like please just you know don't be too harsh on them and they said they wouldn't have done it if they'd known it was wrong and they could go back and they could teach the clans a new way uh but they're just not listened to and they're taken to trial and part of the problem is is that this trial becomes really sensationalized and all over canada there's stories like headlines with things like devil worship among the Cree and all the newspapers are putting out some really heinous bullshit um, about this being like you know this is all about we're worshiping Satan and all this other right. crap which causes some like terrible cultural associations yeah yeah right. so obviously we know at this point there isn't going to be a fair trial uh, so what? <laughs> shockingly uh, so 
After 15 weeks of captivity, Jack does escape into the woods and he commits suicide. Um, but Joseph's trial goes on. And at Joseph's trial, he didn't have a lawyer because the Canadian Department of Justice told the court they shouldn't provide one. Um, and he was found guilty and sentenced to hang. People in the area brought forth a petition you know, stating that the he was committing acts of mercy to prevent a person from becoming a cannibal and this really needs to be taken into account um so there are many people that are petitioning for an overturn of the verdict and at least saying hey at least put him in jail don't sentence him to death right and during his incarceration at stony mountain penitentiary uh, he spent most of his time in the hospital because he was very sick and appeals for his release were actually successful and it was going to be overturned but it came to there was became too late and he died of consumption too three late. days before his pardon was issued. oh consumption yeah i so there's a lot of things to think about this in terms of arrests and their consequences there were some really direct effects to the sandy lake first nation so in 1907 uh, because their leaders are taking away jack's son robert becomes leaders a leader of the sucker clan uh he then subsequently signed treaty five at deer lake ontario and the crown formally recognized the deer lake band the five clans of the Sandy Lake area become the Deer Lake Band. And before this, you know, there was a distinction made by the elders between the leader of a clan and a chief. And after the signing of the treaty, the treaty. So before the treaty, each clan had a leader. So basically Robert Fiddler would have been the leader of the sucker clan. And then upon signing of the treaty, Robert Fiddler became chief by election under Indian Act for all five clans. And well, you know, so you can research what the treaty ended up doing for the Sandy Lake First, Sandy Lake First Nation people um, and hear what happened to them after that. Uh, they are still around. They're still a thriving tribe. But and then, of course, the other part, you know, to really think about this is the thought of imposing a legal system onto people who are unaware of its workings. And then also to bring this, just I want to bring this back to the Wendigo. And I'm going to quote directly from Deborah Rose Pena, who wrote The Power to Punish Conflicts of Authority, because I think it shows how deeply the Wendigo is embedded into the culture. And then for the Sucker Clan, the threat of the Wendigo is constant and the defeat of the Wendigo a necessity. The threat of the cannibal is not proclaimed by religious leader, but is understood through common wisdom that is spread throughout the members of any given clan. Um, so I have two things real fast. Can yeah. you spell sucker, the Sucker Clan for anybody that S wants to do additional research on that? Yeah. S-U-C-K-E-R. But yeah, it's just kind of like sucker, like we would think. Yeah, I was just making sure because yeah. I know it's the, with the question on it. Yeah, and, I'm also and say, every time you say Sandy Lake, I think of this shitty amusement park in the Dallas Fort Worth area that we went to a band um, uh, competition to every year. And every school in Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex went to a UIL band competition there, and it was kind of sketchy. I believe it may or may not still be open. It was that sketchy, but Sandy Lake, I'm like, oh, I totally went to that amusement park. It was real sketchy. My junior high band days. There you go. Yeah. So uh, within my within my sources, you can go directly to um, the Sandy Lake First Nation site where you can get some of this history. Um, Obviously not I'm the also, same Sandy Lake. Just to clarify, not yeah, the clarify. same Sandy Lake. <laughs> not yeah. in the Dallas Fort Worth, Texas area. This is Canada. Yeah, whatever. Or yeah. that one's not. Yeah. But. Yep. Um, I would also strongly recommend uh, if people want to read more into this, I would recommend reading Wendigo Lore, Monsters, Myth and Madness by Chad Lewis and Kevin Lee Nelson. They did a ton of research into, into the Wendigo Lore and there's some really great stories in there. 
Um, also a book which I wanted to get, but I didn't get in time. Um, it's called Killing the Shaman. And that really goes into in depth the story of Jack Fiddler. And that was written by James Stephen and Chief Thomas Fiddler, who was Jack's grandson. And they put that together through a bunch of oral histories and interviews with the people of the clan. Uh, so really goes in depth, you know, what that trial meant for the, that First Nation. That is our, our very depressing tale of the world. Yeah, it's awful. There's a lot of like family killing and people going to jail and dying and stuff like with their eating babies and shit. Anyways, so yeah. But yeah. The, the, Wen the Wendigo. The Wendigo. You keep saying it, it's going to put that through. Um, yeah, I know. I know. But, I mean, but anyway, I think so. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, high level, what you take away from that is one, this is something that was deeply Cult embedded within our culture ingrained in a native american culture in north america absolutely yeah huge part of it and uh and it's interesting the the crossover from the anasazi and like you were talking about some of the other um tribes and associated you know that well algonquin may be more associated um it, it's really interesting and then they were talking about minnesota which actually makes more sense being close to canada but this is down in colorado so it's a little, little bit further south for sure um so so i had i did have a note because i knew liz was going to do her fucking research because that's liz and i love her for it that um what was the accuracy of the legend and, and and realistically you know we could argue the legend is so varied that the what they did on the show could arguably be a very accurate um representation of the legend in a lot of ways because there's are variations in a 30 foot tall monster no but this guy was big he was skinny he was uh super freaking fast so superpowers he's obviously eating people that part's a given right um and it gives him some extra crazy powers to continue doing so so there's there's some uh i think legitimacy to the legend that they're that they're depicting uh would you yeah. agree liz yeah i mean they were that far off i mean obviously like we said there's some weird shit with getting some tribal things wrong but f for the most part you know it was went along with most of the stories and certainly did a lot better a job than something like you know hannibal or somebody else would be doing now so which which is impressive on a on a show like this I, i'll give them credit for that i mean that's something yep. yeah i was just by the way i was wiping up wine while i was doing that because i did spill my wine while we were of talking, course you but, did you know like like <sighs> you do and my well, dear dear husband who uh refilled my wine just a moment ago also came in and brought me paper towels to wipe up the spilled wine so very nice go dave again. go dave um yeah so so because my one of my questions was the accuracy accuracy of the legend because i I'd, i mean being someone that listen i've talked about and i think we've alluded to in the first episode both of us are interested as much as i'm a fucking wuss um we're both interested in supernatural lore we like enjoy the show the vampires and i she you know pointed out i got excited about the werewolves and all that stuff but I, I am intrigued by the supernatural lore. We talked to, how about the Wendigo? I wanted to know like what, um, is this accurate or is this just this TV show's choice of how to represent some random fucking word? And realistically, it sounds like there's a, a several iterations of this creature in the show took uh, their own take on it, but within the lines of what existed out there, which is, yeah. Cool for the most I'm, part. I'll take. I'll, I'll roll with that. I'm not. I'm mad. not mad at them. Yeah. No. I'm not mad no. At them. So so at that point, then we've got the legend. We've got the background. We now know where. We now know what Dean and Sam are up against. 
other than their own emotional shutdown (laughs) other than their own emotional trauma yeah all right so so let's jump back to where we were roy's dead roy's dead Haley's upset she wants to find her brother still obviously we know that the brother's hanging in a cave but no one else knows that yet and see uh sam dean and uh Haley and little bro are all out in the woods still that's pretty much where we're at right Yep, they're in the woods. Dean's got his Molotov cocktail in hand. Yeah, he's, he's ready. He's ready. <laughs> he's ready to riot. Yep. So they're walking, they see some clawed up trees, and they're like, wait a minute. Like, this is super easy. These these are really obvious claw marks. And they're like, oh no. And then they hear it. And then they're running. And then Roy, oh, sorry, I missed Roy falls out of the tree. So yeah. <laughs> Roy splats on Haley. Sorry, Haley. I'm also terrified of things falling out of trees, uh, especially water moccasins. Meat. Oh, don't say that. My my stepson was telling me about some crazy island where if you go and there's like, all there is is a gazillion fucking snakes there and they fall out of trees on you. So I don't want to talk about snakes falling out of trees right now. I will have nightmares. No ropes. No anyway, ropes. so- Roy, so, okay, was, so Roy see, falls I would, out of a tree. I would much rather have Roy fall out of a tree. Yeah, a Roy can fall on me out of a tree any day. That's way better than a snake. Yeah. All right. So there we so, go. So everybody's running and everybody's falling because they're running through the woods. And I would also be, I would probably run two feet and just be dead because I would have tripped on a, on a tree stump and then broken my oh. head. Um, and they're screaming. And then, uh-oh, <laughs> we find it. We see Sam's like, where's Dean and Haley? Dean dropped his mouth off. He did. He brought, and it broke. Though I did wonder briefly, I'm like, is that full of booze or gasoline? I did have that thought. I don't know if it matters, but I did have that thought. Well, I mean, where would they have gotten gasoline? Well, I mean, like, you may have brought a tank of gasoline up there, but are you saying that he brought peanut M&Ms and booze, and that's all he brought? Yeah. Okay, I'm just asking. I'm just just curious here, because they never really clarified what was in the bottle. Are you supposed to take more things to the woods than M&Ms and booze? Peanut M&Ms and booze? Yes, Liz. I'm well, I wouldn't take yes, peanut. I would not I like take to, peanut I like M and M's. I mean, I would gross. I don't eat peanut M and M's. They're nasty. No, I would take, but like the peanut butter ones that are like Reese's pieces. I would take I would those. Yeah, hell yeah, that's. I'm in yeah. board. I'm on board with that. But yeah. I mean, like, I'm just curious what the accelerant was that they had with them. But that's okay because they never really addressed it. That's all right. Nope. Maybe nope. it was in the bag. It was in the duffel bag, rolling around not leaking anyway okay. and as you'll learn with as you get further into the show they brought booze um, okay all right so yeah so they're so, walking and then, they, and then they find the entrance well i guess before this like so the kids asking you know sam like if it keeps its victims alive why would it kill roy but i also think this is the first time that kid said anything I it think. is pretty much the first time he talked but roy was a dick remember well yeah but even at the house like like, he just like the kid never says anything and finally like he never says anything the roy thing didn't shock me but the kid thing i was like oh shit they actually gave him a line yeah yeah and then they get to follow a trail of m&ms and if you want to get me in the woods i mean leave me with some fucking candy counsel and gretel my ass candy will work I will um, follow candy everywhere. Um, Or potato chips. Potato chips would also work. I would follow those. Snack foods in general. general. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just a a charcuterie board in the woods, you know, like, oh yeah. Liz, can we, can we have a charcuterie board in the woods soon? I need one. Yeah, yeah. It sounds course. dirty. Good lord. I didn't mean that. All right. Yeah, that way. <laughs> I'm like, Liz, can we have a charcuterie board in the woods soon? 
<laughs> All right. I love, uh, I love you, however. All right. <laughs> I so, love yeah. you, but I don't love you. Charcuterie boards in the woods. <laughs> charcuterie boards, board in the woods way. Yeah. It's a different, that's next level. But we can have, we can have cheese and wine in the woods any day. So yeah. yeah. I, I, so they were, they were doing the, they were walking through the, bo- the, the youngster finally had a line. Roy and and we know Roy's gone gone for sure. So uh, my big question, like I already addressed, was the was the booze or gas? So then they get to. Is this about the time they get to the entrance? Because I have to yeah, they're at the, about the entrance. Yeah. So who the fuck picked the font for the sign? <laughs> that was my question one. Because this I have is so like many some questions like, about the sign. Because <laughs> there's two signs. I'm gonna be clear. The right. first one is the red and white sign, which is like a metal sign. Okay, great. But they couldn't use an actual like metal sign font. They had to pick like some super stylized, like Art Deco, like what's a metal font. sign like, font? I'm just like the one, like a street sign font. Okay, okay. They picked like some like super stylized shit for that. I, was, and, I just don't think that's in my font library, but go ahead. Uh, well, but I'm, I'm going to say it's like the it's bo- super boring sans serif shit. I don't know. Okay. And then they moved over to the, the, they shoot up a little pan up slightly. And then it's also carved into the stone to not enter there. So I, I just feel like that's a really weird choice to carve into stone to not enter there. And then also add the metal sign to not enter there. It just seems like a lot of effort involved. Um, other than well, like, if you're gonna carve it into stone, couldn't you just block it better? The same. I don't know. It's some some minor in the some minor in the 1800s carved into the stone. Um, but also then, so the sign itself says, "Warning, danger! Do not enter. Extremely toxic material." Which I'm like, what the fuck were you mining? Like, I don't know what you mine in Colorado, but do you mine toxic things? But I mean, then like, also, in Texas, like in Texas, we mined a lot of mercury back in the day. So oh, okay yeah so but then sam sees this and then he just shrugs and walks in so enjoy that tail you know everyone likes a man with a tail sammy so enjoy that get that get Uh, that toxic get toxic and now i want to see britney spears but it's all right yeah i i I could see that in your in your eyes i could hear britney like just my eyebrows went and you were like oh shit she's gonna start seeing britney oh it's all not right. Brittany, bitch yeah. all right so <laughs> the, the this i was just upset by the fonts and the, the yeah. decision to make a carved sign instead of an actual blockade i'm like we're gonna carve some stone but not put a blockade that's fine yep um, right. so they're walking and they're walking they see the wendigo walking on the shaft too and then oh no they fall through some boards and oh Obviously. no there's lots of skulls and Obviously. sam's like it's gonna be okay I'm like no it's not like you just yeah. felt like not a good time. <laughs> yeah. not a good time. you're not gonna be P- okay pile of skulls did not does not usually equal gonna be all right no no in my, my, in my, in from my from my perspective i mean i'm not gonna judge someone else's experience <laughs> okay so <laughs> you should probably lay off the wine at this point um so this is a point in the podcast where diana probably was a little shit-faced and we'll just mark that Not shit-faced i'm fun you're fun diana okay so um we've seen we've, we've we can see dean and Haley hanging there and so eventually they get cut down and then they find Tommy and Tommy's hanging there. And then Haley's real sad. And then there's a lot of crying, but then he's alive and his puka shell necklace has also made it. 
So I am so glad that necklace hung out throughout this entire episode. I was concerned. It made it. Yep. So while they're doing that, Dean's digging through people's packs because apparently the uh, Wendigo also is a hoarder and stole people's packs. And he finds some flare guns, uh, which makes him real happy. And we get some sweet flare gun twirling action, uh, which is impressive. Okay. It is. I was I was stoked about the flare guns. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. I was stoked about that. I'm like they're they're twirling them. They're getting ready to yeah. shoot them. They're on it. I like it. Yep. Yep. Well, and so, fun, I'm a little jealous. I'm just saying. Is, I yeah. I'm a little jealous. Yeah. So then they decide that Dean is going to run off and he's going to taunt the Wendigo with such classic lines like "Ring it on, baby. I taste good." And hey, you want some white meat, bitch? Um, <gasps> But also, like, I mean, it wasn't, it was a, I, I mean, while slightly, like, it's not like it's never been done before, but it was, it's all an escape plan. They had a plan. They were executing the plan. Gold yep. star. I was like, all right, Gold they think it makes sense. They have a plan that makes sense. They're executing said plan. They both knew what the plan was. They were going for it on it. I mean, I'm on, but, I'm on, yeah. I'm on the team. But the Wendigo was not fooled because he's like, I could go after one man or I could go after four. Yeah. probably better odds with the four he's he's not a he's not a dumb creature so um then they see the wendigo and sam's like go ahead run ahead and then he poorly shoots at it with the flare gun um i, I mean i've never shot a flare gun so i'm not sure like how I'll difficult it is aim is I don't know. I, I don't think they're made for aiming, but I also feel like you get a pretty wide target base. I don't, let's get some flare guns and go shoot them so I can find yes, out. Yes, please. Okay. I just want to do that on principle. Like, I don't have a real reason, but let's do it. I don't think you have to have a good, real, good reason it's to research, shoot flare guns. Right? Yep. Can you buy flare guns on Amazon? Look that up. So Sam is poorly shooting at the Wendigo with the flare gun, and then they start running down the the hall, and you know they're they're cornered, and we finally get to see what the Wendigo looks like here, which basically looks like. And my first thought was it looks like a tall golem, and. Yeah. And then I read on um, Supernatural, the official companion season, which was quoted on Supernatural Wiki, that Eric Kripke had said he was long critical of this episode, and he thought it looked more like Gollum's tall, gangly cousin than anything else. So at least we are not the only ones who thought this. Everyone thought this thing looked like Gollum. But, you know, it's it's Gollum's awkwardly tall, like, cousin. Yeah, I like it. He wanted his precious, which was human <sighs> it's, um, just, it's just human flesh it's not something shiny which is lame, precious flesh so and he does you know he's got you know some of the matted fur so that looks like some of the descriptions of the creature we saw he had long claws he was really skinny but he just had a weird face uh, so he's there and he's courted them and then Dean shoots it with the flare gun and doesn't miss because Dean's apparently a much better shot with the flare gun and then it burns for a bit you know we we see kind of almost like a Buffy-esque like burning of a vampire on Buffy just like ah, I'm burning I'm burning um, and it burns for a bit and then they kind of flash everybody's relieved faces and Sam looks really happy like he's just like oh my god we killed the evil son of a bitch I'm fulfilled uh so sam gets his happy happy joy joy moment 
So then they leave, and then we're back at the ranger station. And Bro, who is now apparently allowed to talk, can't stop talking. And he's telling right? the park rangers, it's like, maybe he's just like, oh, I finally have a voice. But he's like, yeah, we saw these really big grizzly bears. And I'm like, oh. And, and so, so even for having in being incapable of speaking to speaking intermittently to all of a sudden being on board with telling the story they made up um, yep weird weird but all right yep so uh he's doing that then we have a moment between dean and Haley when she's <laughs> like i don't know how to thank you and then dean's like i'm a pervert and i'm so, gonna make it gross that's what he yeah. said and she's like, don't ruin this. And then she kisses Too him late. on the cheek. Uh, so they go off and they ride off into the ambulance, presumably so Tommy can get fixed up. Um, and now we're just having you know, the bro moment. They're sitting in baby. And Dean says, I hate camping. Word, Dean. I laughed so hard when he said that after our... Uh, after our yep. Knowing that that would be our discourse this on this episode, I was amused. Sure. it was very amusing um, so then they have a, you know a, a slight emotional moment and you know they talk about you know dean's like we're gonna find dad and sam's like yeah and you can tell like now he's on board because like in the meantime i'm driving dun, dun, dun. So, I'm, on, I'm on the team now guys so dean gives him the keys and then they ride off into the sunset and baby does some really good vroom vroom and she's just haul it off. Baby broom brooms. And they Good baby broom And so they ride off into the sunset. So that brings yeah, us yeah. to the end of episode two, Wendigo. So Diana, have you changed yes. your mind? Are you are you are you team Dean, Team Sam? No. So no, no. Baby wasn't in the baby in the trunk weren't in the episode as much. And I was disappointed in their packing method of the trunk. I'm not either one neither neither dean nor sam has won me over yet okay it doesn't mean that i'm not excited to watch the next episode and i won't say like i'm like fuck yeah i need to watch the next episode but i'm like all right i'm ready to watch episode three and um which i think is a positive statement overall and uh but yeah i i, I there was less less car in this episode which is sad but um I well you can't drive baby in the woods she would no, not be, she is weird. not it would be terrible for her paint it would be very upsetting and you can't do that i understand which is why i have a not jeep a four -wheel drive. so we can that's, have duchess for the highway and then we exactly. have the jeep for the woods yeah so. duh i mean that's how we do things we have to have a balance it's all about balance. to have balance it is all so right. yeah um so now when sam is driving i'm just going to point out that sam is driving now and i have no trust in his music taste because of what he called mullet rock in the previous episode so i'm a little concerned about what that's going to mean for the music in the ongoing episodes but we kind of are addressed that a little bit because we know that the music for the netflix version is very different than the television version i just don't trust sam's music taste after he called fucking motorhead fucking mullet rock I'm, well, I mean, I'm, honestly, I'm, do you I'm think Dean is going to give him over the stereo anyways? Because I always say that, like, it's my car and I'm going to pick the music. And even if I'm on the passenger side, I'm still picking the music. So I'm just saying that that, that was a little bit, I'm like, oh, if this is their rule and this is what just happened, my faith is not with Sam's music taste. I'm just saying. No, no. We're, we're, you can just look at Sam and tell me how shitty taste some music. Pretty, um, much. Pretty much. Yeah. Because right. I, I can be judgy. So that's what I got. All right. Yeehaw! We made it. 
Yay! We made it to the end of episode two. But there was some awesome background lore about Wendigos that we uh, got to discuss this evening. So I think that was uh, important. And I like hearing the the tie-in for the real lore behind the show lore. I think that's important for everybody to get out of this. And I'm enjoying it as well. So thank you, Liz, for doing that. And uh, I'm also super into seeing the actors and actresses on shows on other shows we like, uh, sci-fi and not that uh, that appear here on this on Supernatural so far, and just in the first two episodes. There we go. There you go. Alrighty. Uh, so I think that's going to draw us to an end for this episode. So, all right, we'll talk to you guys soon. Cheers, jerk. Cheers, bitch. <laughs> Devil's Trap Podcast is a Don't Be a Dick production. Meow. Intro music, arrangement and performance by Dave Cox. Piano arrangement and performance by Bobby Orozco. Meow. <laughs>